Hello and welcome to the Wine Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Callum Woodcock. I'm the founder of Winify. We started this podcast because despite fine wine having a fascinating investment profile, very few resources exist for either new wine investors or those with an existing portfolio who want to learn more about the asset class itself. We don't run ads on this podcast and we never will. Our intention is to give away as much as we can for free in order to attract more people to the space. But if you do enjoy the podcast, please do give it five stars. I am really excited to welcome Professor Gertjen Verdict to this episode. Gertjen is Professor of Finance at the University of Leuven. He has written extensively about fine wine as an asset class and, and as an investment more generally. I first came across his work in the Financial Times and immediately reached out to him on LinkedIn and we've been friends and co-conspirators ever since. Needless to say, in order for fine wine to be considered a mainstream asset class or at least a mainstream alternative asset class, this kind of academic research is critical. So I'm really excited to have him on the show. Gertjen, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. So I guess first question would be, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you first got into fine wine as an asset class? So basically, I've always been interested interested in wine as a, as a consumption good. So when I was young, I still remember going with my father to an Italian restaurant and having these wooden baskets with Chianti. So it always stuck in my mind. But when I actually chose to start studying, it was during the financial crisis and I was really interested in how a bank can actually hurt the, the real economy. So I started going to finance and more specifically financial markets. And then I did a PhD where I basically tried to study why stock prices move over time. And that's basically how I stumbled into wine because the way how I look at wine is similar to a corporate bond, basically, um, because you only have a limited amount of bottles that are being produced and those are fixed. Similar, you can only have so much money uh, being issued by a company, which is also fixed. They're both traded. They're both very illiquid. They both have a rating. They both have a maturity. So that's how basically the, the wine economics uh, research came about, thinking about that as a real asset, not merely as a consumption good. Sure. So when you're looking at wine, how do you define what is or isn't investment grade? So the way how we actually approach this is we look at auctions um, and basically um, we try to gather all the auction data from literally every auction that exists. So if it has data on their website, we actually have it. So to give you an idea, right now we have about 90 different auction uh, and, and auction prices, uh, well over 5 million observations starting from 2003, basically until yesterday. So <clears throat> the reason um, or the way how we actually think about investment grade wine and auctions is fairly easy because uh, Investing on auction is very expensive. So by design, you don't see a lot of consumption wine going. So to give you an idea, the average price of a bottle of wine in our sample is $608 US dollars. So it is a lot. That's not your average Monday uh, spaghetti bolognese wine. And if you, if you actually see, so what we did is we matched that with Robert Parker ratings. Uh, and there you see that the average rating is also 94. So it is actually pretty, pretty good wine. 
now to to answer your your broader question the way how i look at it is basically following my wset training you need basically all of the structure of your wine so you need high alcohol you need high acidity or uh, a, a high sweetness level you need some body you need a lot of flavor like primary primary flavors that can actually turn into tertiary flavors so that's a bit also how, how i look at this um that the, the wines that we actually see on auctions but in trading also uh, have uh, this specific structure in mind so this is a structure that influences the ageability of the wine exactly because if you have a lot of primary flavor so for red wine think about strawberry think about raspberry like this fruitiness that actually can convert into something with more aging potential think about meat think about what else do you have like for white wine look more honey uh this groundiness mushroom for instance that actually that the oxidation actually helps transform this primary into to a tertiary and if you have a lot to start with that actually can convert into something which is very interesting or as we call it very complex absolutely and then what other factors would come into an investment grade wine obviously at winify we look at things like brand equity and certain regions i'm curious to hear your 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 take on that so what we try to do is actually look on the bottle individual bottle level so the things we actually look at uh, are ratings and what we actually do find is that a higher rating actually leads to a higher return so for for investors that is very interesting but price for instance is also something we look at and there um, we actually show that lower prices actually have a higher return so don't think about your chateau petrus don't think about your drc as the ones you do need to have in your portfolio and that is why why winefi is so super interesting because you don't need these millions of euros to actually start no it's actually the the bottles which are a bit lower priced that actually have a higher potential so that is that is something we actually do see what we also find is uh, we look at past performance uh, and and something uh, maybe some of your listeners know in, in if you actually look at equities you have something which is called momentum so those wines that actually or those stocks that actually performed very well over the last 12 months have a higher probability of performing very well in the future well we actually see the opposite for wine we see that those wines that performed very well in the past actually have the tendency to perform a little bit less compared to their counterparts so that is also something we take into account like what is their past performance so those three factors actually have a huge impact on future profitability future returns it's really interesting to hear you say that because winefi's investment committee take a value investment approach or a relative value approach as opposed to a momentum or growth approach when they are looking to assemble portfolios either for our private clients or for a fund etc so i suppose the next obvious question now we've defined what investment grade wine is and the right approach to take when an investor is looking at wine as an asset class they are obviously going to be wondering what kind of return they can expect now obviously this is a broad question historical data doesn't necessarily equal future performance but from your own research if an investor is looking to allocate a percentage of their total portfolio to wine what kind of return could they expect 
So it's a very good question, and as you are indicating, it's a very difficult one, difficult one to answer. But indeed, the average return is somewhat in line with equity. So what you should have in mind is about the average of seven, six and a half percent per year. So it's actually pretty good. So it it outperforms bonds by a landslide. It does way better than European equity if we think about the Euro stocks fifty, for instance. Um, so it is actually a proper asset class. Um, and I'm also I'm writing an entire book on this luxury goods. So think about handbags, think about jewelry, think about watches, for instance. And of all those asset classes, if we think about luxury, wine is by far the best. So in, in that sense, it is a very interesting real asset to have and to add into your portfolio. That's really interesting because six and a half, seven percent is slightly less than what the main fine wine indices, the Live X100 and the Live X1000 have returned on an annualized basis. So, you know, between eight and 12 percent, let's say. Is that because it's auction data you're using with higher fees? LiveX is something very interesting because the indices that they actually have, um, liquidity is, is very important. The, the indices they make are super liquid. Not every wine is very liquid. That doesn't mean that it doesn't perform very well, but it can give you an actual uh, somewhat of a skewed image. And that is actually one of the papers we, we wrote about is that one thing that investors in wine should always take into account is if your wine doesn't get traded and other wines have that is also that contains also some information if you only look at those wines that are traded maybe the image is a bit too rosy a bit too too nice so that is always something you have to take into account because we were speaking about investment grade wine but that doesn't mean that every wine is a good investment so those two things you really have to separate so that is that is the the paper we i wrote with my phd student robo vantilo is that you should always take into account like what is happening with those specific bottles of wine if it doesn't get traded that also is important information you should take into account really interesting and do you think the fact that you've used auction data suggests that um or, or has has not skewed the results that's the wrong that's the wrong way of saying it but i would imagine and you can tell me if i'm wrong here that the wines traded at auction are typically those that are rarer as a result perhaps more illiquid more unusual um you know i'm thinking we came across uh, i think it was an imperial of i forget the super tuscan but you know it might have been a um a Sassicaia or something like that very recently and there is no data really available on how much that is worth because they're so rarely traded. So a wine like that, I presume, would be the kind of one that they would take to auction. Or do you see wines of, you know, all stripes effectively going to going to auction? Does that make sense? That was a very wordy question for me. No, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You're actually hitting on the nail. So as I was saying, like the average rating is 94. Um, and if you actually see those wines that are traded a lot, the ratings are, are even higher and the price is even higher there are however some wines in the 80s in terms of rating which are getting traded if we translate that from robert parker they're just above average so that does occur as well but as i was saying earlier it's very pricey to actually do so so in that sense you're absolutely right the results are skewed towards more investment grade wine because you have all these costs that are associated with that that being said, 
um, the, the wines we do have, they also match pretty nicely with what LiveX actually publishes in terms of their most traded wines. Now, it is indeed true that there are different players because the players on LiveX are B2B, so they're, they're basically companies or investment companies or, or funds or, or something in that uh, perspective, whereas on auctions, it can be just basically you and me as well. Um, so in that sense, it's a bit of different players, but yeah, some wines are the same, but uh, LiveX has, has way more to offer, which is, let's say, more towards the consumption uh, type wines relative to purely investment wines. I would say, indeed, as you're saying, auctions are purely investment wines, more likely rare, but there's some, some nice overlap still between the platforms. Makes total sense. Thank you. So a lot of our listeners will be wondering what type of budget they need to build a wine portfolio. Um, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this. So how has your, you know, what, what has come up in your research? How, what sort of budget do people need to put aside to get started? Well, what I basically write in the book, uh, which is unfortunately in Dutch, is it really depends on how you actually do it. Because we basically say there are two ways to do it. Either you do it directly, let's say via auctions, or, or you have this really wine specialist. If you think about just investing in general indirectly via, let's say, funds, for instance, 10,000 pounds is a very nice way to actually start. Because then, sure, you still have the cost aspects associated with that because you need to pay management fee. But still, it's actually worth something because you don't have the insurance, you don't have the, the additional transportation costs, et cetera, et cetera. So in that sense, I, I would say, if, if people are interested, think about funds, think about something like your platform, for instance, and 10,000 pounds is a very nice way to start uh, and actually think about going more north, probably. But generally, it's very hard to yeah. do so directly. So that's why, things like Wi-Fi actually exist uh, because to, to make this more uh, approachable, more democratic, I would say. Thank you. That's very kind of you. We'll have to, we'll have to start paying you a referral fee, Goethe. We're very <laughs> generous about our, our platform. You know, that, that also fits with our research. So we found that to build a diversified portfolio of wine, anywhere between 10 and 25K as a start point is, is you know, in the, in the right region. But you know, as you've said already, you can get started if you want a more concentrated bet, you know, below that point. So, okay, that's really exactly because there are a lot of bottles that start from 10k just by by a bottle. Mm -hmm. Like there, there are even more. So, in our research, we delete everything above 50,000. So there, mm -hmm. there are still so many observations above 50,000 uh, American dollars. So, in that sense, you're absolutely right. Uh, think about Tignanello, for instance. That, that costs, mm. I would say, about 120, 150 euros per bottle. So in, in that sense, you can build it, indeed a diversified portfolio with something which has some, some value um, and still a lot of upside. Interesting. In that case, I guess the, the opposite of this question would be, what mistakes do you see people make when it comes to investing in wine? Any intel you can give to our listeners on what they should be avoiding would, I'm sure, be very useful. So what, what we see, uh, not by my own research, but by others, is they focus too much on what they like. 
So I love mm. Barolo, for instance. Nebbiola is really my grape, uh, but that's not necessarily the best performer. If I only go with what I know and I, I don't like really Spanish, like this high alcohol, full-bodied wine, well, then I, I forego a lot of uh, a lot of return. So in that sense, diversification is also important, but away from actually your taste. Um, but I think the most important thing we've noticed is that people focus too much on price, that as I was saying, lower priced wine has more upside. So that is that is very, uh, very nice. But also something which is called salience, that those wines that actually pop into your mind that, that are being talked about uh, are being published in, in this top, uh, top 100 lists every year. Um, they actually do not perform very well because people focus too much are willing to pay a very high price for that really to have it, but the actual return is lower. And then the last thing, as I was saying, it's called selection neglect, where they only focus on what they have and they ignore basically everything that else is happening on the market. So in that sense, people should really try to see this not as something which is very nice to drink with a nice meal, but try to put all the emotion away from it. Don't fall in love with your assets. That is, I think, the most important uh, takeaway, I would, I would say, uh, comes out of our research. Yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, wine is often referred to as a passion asset, as will be the other luxury items that you're researching. And exactly. I think that there is a real tendency to conflate collecting because you're passionate about the, you know, the the whole owning the wine, the tangibility of it, drinking it, sharing it, whatever it might be, and then investing in it where, you know, you're specifically looking for a financial return. And I think so many people conflate the two. Sometimes willingly because they like to imagine that their wine portfolio isn't just something that they've spent thousands of pounds on or thousands of euros on for pleasure but is you know a, a an investment so i suppose that's why people are complicit in conflating the two but i think you know i think i think what you've just said there goes to show if you're approaching it as an investment you need to have that separation in your mind exactly. which makes a lot of sense because as i was saying it's a real asset so it's something that actually exists and we call this an emotional dividend. It doesn't pay any cash flows, but you get something real, which you can easily fall in love with. Totally. And it's a great talking point as well. You know, no one goes to a dinner party and talks about their S&P 500 index fund, <laughs> whereas they will happily true. go and talk about the, the case of 2020 Chateau Aubryon that they've got in storage somewhere. So yeah, really good point. Really good point. And then, you know, I, I guess a, another question seeing as we're talking about price appreciation would be why do wine prices move what are the factors that influence that so to to answer that very stupidly it's uh, supply and demand so that is that is basically a very easy way to answer that now as i was saying there are a lot of factors that actually influence supply and demand so on the one hand if you think about demand there are a lot of countries nowadays who actually open up to the wine world Think about South Africa, but also India, Malaysia, Thailand, so the Southeast Asia are starting to catch on. And if you you talked about Chateau Aubryon, there are there are just so many cases. And if you see try to export all of those cases to the world, well, there aren't enough cases to actually fulfill all of the demand there is. So in that sense, it's it's basically that. 
um, which is also one of the reasons why I was saying earlier that rating is very important because what do you want consumption you want the best wine but what do you want as an investment also the best wine because those are have a, have a longer time to expiration so you have a longer time to actually sell to two parties a consumption a consumer sorry and an investor so in that sense that is one of the the most important elements like how is your time to expiration so we call this drinking window which is also something that robert parker jens robinson uh, and others just give so that is something i always look at like how long do i have how long do I, can i still consume this because then i have two parties to sell it to uh, and i think that is something which is which is uh, driving also demand to a huge extent that makes complete sense it makes complete sense and i suppose as well you know as a consumer so let's say you're a high net worth individual who wants to be drinking these super high-end wines these super premium wines the most appealing time for you to purchase those wines are when they're hitting their peak drinking window exactly. so is there so, so as an investor you're looking to get in early in that cycle and then hold the wine as long as you can essentially into the peak of that drinking window so it's at its most valuable absolutely because something we see uh, i just at lunch recently with with uh, an investor in belgium who starts a, a more of a wine club so they uh, they raise funds half of it is investment basically the other half is actually drinking consuming which is also something which happens in the us uh, a lot uh, i don't know about the uk but i know these these very exclusive clubs in the us as well because basically at the end of the day it's also a consumption good we have data on 17th 18th century wines so it does exist we call that collectibles it is nice mm -hmm. to have uh, it's also a nice thing to say at a dinner party uh, but apart from that it, it's only it's only that we do see, however, that those the return on those collectibles is now very good. So that's why I was saying mm -hmm. earlier that having those two parties to sell to is something which is fairly important. Yeah, really interesting, really interesting. Um, Gerdian, I appreciate we're nearly at time. So thank you so much for, for joining me today. But if any of our guests want to get in touch with you or find out more about your research, what's the best way of doing that? well i have a twitter account which i uh, try to post as much uh, in english as possible sometimes i do dutch so if your listeners also speak dutch <laughs> they can they can find <laughs> me there um but i, I, I post a lot i post a lot of my research on just on my website which is uh, verdict.eu but i'll give the details uh, to you later perfect and i'll link for any listener who wants to read up on that i will link them in the um in the, in the description below Gertjens, awesome. thank you so much. This has been such a fascinating conversation and I really appreciate you joining. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much to Gertjens for appearing on this episode and to you, the listener, for listening this far. We don't run any ads on this podcast, so our only ask can be please do vote us five stars or rate us five stars on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, whether it's Spotify, Amazon, Apple, etc. It really is fantastic for reach and really good for bringing a new audience to this fascinating asset class. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's www.linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Callum Woodcock. That's Callum with two L's. 
or you can drop me an email at callum at winify.co. This has been the Wine Investing Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.